0: So, that passage of scripture is going to come up uh, again in, in our message this morning. Because Jesus is referencing um, what's happening in this narrative with Jacob. And so we'll see that when we get there. But we're in Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 22. So, we're finishing chapter 28 today. And as we continue to study through the book of Genesis, and we're going to see that Jacob had a transformed trek. We, kn- we know from last week that he was on this trek. He's on this, this journey uh, from Beersheba to Haran or to Padan Aram. It's a couple of names for the same place. And um, so, anyhow, we'll see how he has this transformed trek today. I want to start with this illustration, though. As one researcher has described it, our brain blinds our mind to the unusual. For instance, in one study, researchers put a clown on a unicycle in the path of pedestrians. The researchers asked people who walked past the clown if they had noticed anything unusual. Everybody saw him unless they had been on their cell phone. Three out of every four people who had, uh, who, who had been using their cell phone did not see the clown. They looked back in astonishment, unable to believe that they had missed him. They had looked straight at him but had not registered his presence. The unicycling clown crossed their paths, but, ha- but not their minds. And so I have to admit, just recently this happened to me. I was walking red or running red or being drugged by red, whichever you want <laughs> to consider, up in the orchard. And uh, we were, a very again, at the very top of the orchard. A lot of stuff happens to the very top of the orchard by the cornfield. If you ever want to come with me sometime, uh, we could have some fun together. I mean, all kinds of stuff happens up there. And uh, so I'm looking at my phone as I'm running with the dog, and, and, but I hear footsteps, and I look up just in time to see the tail of a deer. But, but it looks like a big deer. I didn't get to see its, its head or anything. And so Red and I get to the top of the, the steep uh, path that goes back down uh, into Idaville here. And, and uh, when we get down there, I notice that Red like, starts picking up his pace to get across the bridge. And I'm like, what is going on? What do you see? Well, Judy had bent over uh, and was working in the garden, so I didn't see her, but he had seen her. And so he was in a hurry to get to Judy uh, to see her. And when I get there, Judy goes, You'll never believe what I just saw. I'm like, What? She said, The biggest buck I've ever seen. It's like, a, it's like a trophy buck. And he came running down out of the orchard, wonder where or from where, crossed the bridge, saw her, turned right, and ran along the tree line and across the road, Peach Glen, Ottaville Road, and into the woods. And I'm like, So I'm guessing this, this was the big buck that I heard because those kind of footfalls. Most of the time, you don't, I don't hear deer running, but this, this one I heard, but I missed it because I was on my cell phone, right? So I probably missed seeing this monster buck because I was so preoccupied, uh, with what I was uh, looking at on my cell phone. So Judy would testify to you that there, I missed other things too, uh, because I've been on my cell phone or, or on on our iPad doing stuff. And she's like, did you see that? No, missed that. And, uh, and then, inevitably, I miss stuff when I'm driving, right? Because I'm trying to pay attention to the road. And she's like, did you see that? No, missed that too. Um, but maybe you've experienced that with your cell phone. How many of us uh, would admit that we've missed seeing certain things because of looking at our cell phones? Yeah, yeah, some of you are honest today. <laughs> I'll just, you're just shy, perhaps. But there's other distractions, right? Because not all of us have cell phones. There are other distractions, Uh Uh, That only uh, that distract us from seeing certain things it can happen when we're driving like I said a lot of times we're paying attention to the road not looking around all over the place it can happen while reading the newspaper or a magazine we might miss something if uh, we're sitting there with our spouse and watching television. Or they're watching television and we're reading the newspaper or a magazine. It can happen while focusing on a conversation with another person or having our back turned when something's happening, right? You're talking with someone and something happens behind you. You missed it because you're involved in the conversation, right? You're trying to be focused in that conversation. So there's a lot of things that can distract us uh, from these different things that we should be seeing. We can be distracted in our spiritual journey as well by the busyness of life. It could be health issues that are just distracting us. It could be family dynamics, financial concerns, school fears, or school or fears, anxiety, depression, addictions. All of those things can distract us from our spiritual journey. And we miss that God is present with us in all of those situations, don't we? Jacob is on the run from his brother and on a mission to find a wife when God transforms his trek. The Lord appears to him in a dream and promises him several things, as we'll see today. Jacob then worships the Lord and makes a vow to the Lord. And the author of Genesis wants us to understand our big idea today, and it's this. God's presence transforms our life's journey. That's what happened to Jacob. It transformed his life's journey. It transformed it from being running for his life and finding a wife to making a vow to the Creator God to affirming his faith in this God who had made promises to him. And so as we think about that today, would you just bow your heads with me as we commit this to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. We thank you for the fact that you are with us always. Your presence is always here. Lord, we don't always recognize, and we confess that before you today and ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that that we would recognize that you are here, that you are a promise keeper that, Lord God, uh, you love us and you care about us deeply. Lord, we thank you that your son Jesus is now this mediator between God and man. We're so grateful for that, too. We just ask, Lord God, that you would move now by your Holy Spirit. You would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your message to us today. Lord, would you speak? through a a weak vessel today for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we see in verse 10 is really an introduction um, here, and it really kind of ties in with uh, the previous uh, part of this chapter. But here's what verse 10 says. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. So um, that, it's just, they're not restating um, what... uh, what was happening here simply because uh, as uh, in the ancient times they would have been reading through the entire thing and so uh, they, they wouldn't need to restate it here uh, because it had, it had already just been stated and so um, anyhow they don't need to do that here so um, the, the original hearer would have listened like I said to the entire book of Genesis at one setting and not broken into multiple messages like we're doing and so just mentioning that Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran is enough. And it tells us what we need to know. Jacob was obedient to the command that Isaac had given him, his father. This section of Scripture gives us more detail about Jacob's journey. It expands what the author says in Genesis chapter 28, verse 5. And this is what it says there. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. And so this verse makes it sound like Jacob left and arrived with with no details about the journey in between. And so here we have um, where we're getting more information, at least about one part of his journey. And interestingly enough, the only narrative about his journey is this section about the dream he has in a certain place that he eventually names Bethel. It's a little distracting when your phone's ringing. Sorry about that. You didn't hear it because it's vibrating on my wrist and in my pocket. But All right. Sorry about that. So we see then uh, the first point, which is dream. And we have three points this morning. So we see this dream that Jacob has. He traveled a couple of days from Beersheba, about 60 miles, when he came to a certain place. That's where they mention it here, and they don't give it the name until a little bit later on. At this point, Jacob is not aware of the significance of the place where he stops for the night. For him, it's just a random place that he chose because the sun was going down. That was was all that he was thinking about at this point. He wasn't thinking about any spiritual significance of this particular place. It was a random place uh, for it, it was not a random place, though, for the sovereign Lord. Jacob will understand that after his dream. And so the sun was setting, so he decided to stop for the night and sleep there. He took a stone and used it as a pillow. The literal translation is that Jacob put it at his head place. Most translations say that he put it under his head. Other translations say that he put it near his head. Um, as the commentator um, tells us, of Matthew, in his commentary Our text description, however, may indicate simply that the stones of the place were positioned nearby the head. This appears to be the interpretation of the Septuagint, which is the Greek um, translation of the Old Testament, which renders the Hebrew consistently at each uh, Old Testament passage, including uh, chapter 28, verse 11, and chapter 28, verse 18. If this is the proper interpretation, the stones provided a makeshift enclosure for his head. So if the stones were at his head... He could use them for protection in the middle of the night or to keep critters from crawling around his head while he slept. So whether the stone or stones were used for a pillow under his head or for protection is not what's most important here. But it's the dream, and it's what God's going to share with him in just a moment. We see then this dream. We see the stairway. Scholars are torn about uh, what Jacob saw in his dream. Some say it was a ladder. and Others say it was a stairway like one uh, would find on the side of a ziggurat. So like a pyramid. Because the Hebrew word is so unique, it's hard to translate with certainty because this is about one of the only places in Scripture it comes up. And in our finite human minds, we uh, more readily choose the image of a stairway because we cannot fathom angels ascending and descending on a ladder at the same time because we're thinking about a ladder, right? Our ladders are kind of narrow. It's like a one-person kind of a thing. You go up and down. You take turns when you're going up and down on a roof. Uh, And so it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that in our our finite human minds. And so it's easier for us to wrap our minds around the fact of it being a stairway that would be wide enough to accommodate two-way traffic. And so the stairway is resting on the earth. The literal translation, again, of the Hebrew is that it was placed toward the earth. And so the literal translation helps us to understand that the stairway originated in heaven and not on earth. So God's taking the initiative here to contact and get in touch with Jacob. I like what Houtman uh, uh, says in Wolke's commentary. The impression is made that the narrator wishes to express that the communication between heaven and earth is established by an initiative from on high on the part of God. The contact between heaven and earth exists by the grace of God. So this is God's grace. He's uh, reaching out to a deceiver, right? That, that's what Jacob had been when he left. That's why he was running for his life, because of this deception. And so by God's grace, he's reaching out to Jacob. He has a a message for him that he wants him to understand. Hamilton says Jesus is now the nexus between God and humankind. And so I like that. Jesus uh, referenced this dream sequence. Uh, when talking to Nathanael in John chapter 1. That's the passage um, that Jackie read for you this morning. But I want to uh, back up a little bit and just give you a little bit more context in John chapter 1. I want to read verses 47 to 51. This is what God's word says. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believed, or you believed because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So like here we see Jesus is referencing this uh, ladder. They call it Jacob's ladder, <clears throat> He's referencing that as he's talking to Nathaniel. He's saying, hey, I am that ladder. I am the one who mediates between God and humanity now. And that's significant. Um, Jesus is now that ladder between heaven and earth. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He becomes that for us, right? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, we read these words. For through him, that's Jesus, we, have, uh, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So Jesus is that mediator. He is that go-between for us. And he is able to do that because of what he did for us on the cross. You see, we were all born with a want-to-to-sin. We have a desire to have our own way. And we see that in Scripture. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned. You and I are part of the word all there. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't reach the perfection of God because of that sin in our lives. And God uh, continues to speak through Paul, the apostle, as he says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. What we earn or deserve for our sin is to be separated from God for all of eternity. It's not a physical death because if it was, none of us would be here because we're all sinners. And you're going, well, I'm a pretty good person. Well, let me ask you a couple of quick questions because... None of us are good people. All we have to do is look at a couple of the Ten Commandments. All of us would probably agree that at some point in our lives we've told a lie. We just said something that isn't true, and so we've broken that commandment. Most of us can say that we've taken the Lord's name in vain. We used his his name as a cuss word. We've we're a blasphemer. That's just two. If we go on a little bit further, some of us will, <clears throat> will be like, hey, I'm, I'm good with this one. I'm not an adulterer. I've never committed adultery. But Jesus in the New Testament says, hey, I want you to understand it's more than just a physical act. It's a heart issue. It's the attitude of the heart. And he says, if you look at a woman with lust, it's as though you committed adultery with her. He does the same thing with murder, because most of us can say, I've never murdered anybody. But again, Jesus says it's not just a physical act. It's a heart issue. And he says, if you... Uh, just if you just hang on to anger towards someone else, it's it's, it's like you have murdered them. That's just four of the Ten Commandments. And God's word tells us that if we just fail at one, it's as though we've broken all of them. So you see, we're not good people. We were born sinners with a want to to have our own way. And what we earn or deserve for that sin is to be separated from God for all of eternity. But the great thing that, that Paul then uh, uh, tells us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 5, verse 80, he says, but God demonstrates, he shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we didn't want anything to do with God, Christ died for us. We, we, didn't, have, we didn't have to be a part of God's family when Jesus did that in order to be saved. No, Jesus was doing that. He was, God was showing his love to us by sending Jesus to die on a cross to take our punishment for sin. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15. Yeah, I think that's right. I didn't write this in my notes, but it talks about the fact how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he came alive again the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy when he died, was buried, and came alive again. And he did that for us out of his great love for us. He's the only one that could do that because he was perfect without sin. None of us can die for our own sins. None of us can take care of our own sins. Our parents can't take care of our sins for us. Our grandparents can't take care of our sins for us. Only Jesus could do that because he was perfect without sin. And then we see um, in John uh, chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Most of us are familiar with those verses, aren't we? Especially John three sixteen says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And so that's how we take care of this sin. We recognize that we are not good people, that we are sinners when you say to God, I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and came alive, again, that he fulfilled Old Testament scripture perfectly to take care of my sin. And I choose to have eternal life today. Maybe you're ready to take that step, and that's the first next step on the back of your communication card today, and it's to believe in Jesus and receive God's eternal life. Man, if you make that decision today for the very first time, make sure you mark your communication card. I want to contact you, talk with you about that. That's an incredible decision. We all want to rejoice together with you in that. So this is great news for us today. That Jesus is now that ladder, that intermediary, or that mediator between God and humanity. And during Jacob's dream, the stairway was in use by the angels of God. That's what we see here. We know that the angels are God's messengers. Those descending were probably taking messages from God to his created beings. The angels ascending were reporting back to God. One commentator says the angels upon it carry up the the wants of men to God and bring down the assistance and protection of God to men. The Lord is a part of this dream also. And we see him making promises to Jacob. First, we see the Lord's position. There's discussion among scholars as to where the Lord's standing. Some believe that he's standing at the top of the stairway, which is conceivable as he would be directing the angels who were coming and going. That makes sense. Others believe that he is beside Jacob at the bottom of the stairway, and they reference the fact that the, the author uses the word said instead of called, and that Jacob then mentions that the Lord is in this place. That's conceivable too. But again, the location of the Lord is secondary to the message pr- or promise from the Lord. Wearsby says, the same God who had cared for his father and grandfather pledged to care for him and to give him the very land on which he was lying. And so we see a fivefold promise that God uh, gives uh, to Jacob. In the second half of verse 13, we see property. The Lord promised to give Jacob and his descendants the land that he was lying on. This is the promised land. The second thing that we see, that, uh, the promise that we see here is in verse 14, it's progeny. Jacob's descendants will be the, like the dust of the earth. This is just another way of restating the promise given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. There he said stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. Now he's saying dust of the earth. Again, it's just, it's innumerable. It's, it can't be counted. He was going to have many descendants, they were going to spread out in all directions throughout the promised land, from west to east to north and south. Everyone on earth will be blessed through Jacob and his offspring. When Wolk, he says, this is the same promise given to Abraham. When Abraham received the promise, he was, uh, he was married but childless. Jacob has not yet even found a bride. And God's given this, uh, this promise to him. You're going to have descendants that are going to just, just flood the earth. The third uh, f- promise that we see here is his presence. We see that in verse 15, the first half of that and the last half. So I have it as 15a and d. The Lord says that he is with Jacob. This would have been encouraging for Jacob, especially since he had been deceptive with his father and brother. Perhaps Jacob wondered if God was with him because of his sin. And you know what? We may be wondering the same thing today. Is God with us because of our sin? That's our first principle today that we have to understand. It's a truth from his word. God is always with his people. The problem is that, we, uh, that our unconfessed sin separates us from the Lord. There's a barrier there. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2 says this, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. But the wonderful thing is, is we have a way to take care of that sin, to remove that barrier, that separation. John writes about it in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. He says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then I like this promise that we see in the New Testament from the writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, the second half of verse 5 and 6. It says this, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Isn't that an incredible promise from the Lord? He says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. He's never going to turn his back on us and walk away. We do that to the Lord. We turn our back on him and we walk away but he is always with his people. So whatever you're going through today, whether it's financial or physical, whether it's relational or emotional or perhaps spiritual, know that the Lord is with you. He is right there with you right now. And maybe you just need to take this next step today, and that's to claim the promise that God is always with me and will never turn his back on me. Maybe that's a step you're ready to take today. The Lord promises not to leave Jacob until he has done what he has promised to do. Jacob uh, could have confidence that the Lord would provide property, progeny, protection, preservation. Because the Lord always keeps his promises. And we can have the same confidence today that Jacob had. That leads us to our second principle today that God always keeps his promises. We see in 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9, these words, But uh, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you and not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Isn't that a wonderful promise? He says he's going to be with us, and he's going to keep his promises. He's not slow to do that. The Lord provides promises to his people throughout Scripture. There's just tons of them throughout the Bible. And we can have confidence that he will keep those promises to us. And so maybe you need to just uh, take that third step today on the back of your communication card. And that's to trust that the Lord will keep his promises to me. Maybe you're just struggling with that today. But know that he keeps his promises. He has not broken a promise yet. And so the Lord not only promised His presence with Jacob, but He also promised His protection. We see that in the second part of verse 15. The Lord's protection would be with Jacob wherever he went. This promise did not have geographical boundaries. It's like, oh, I'm only going to keep the promises if you stay here in Canaan, stay at Bethlehem. No, the Lord was going to uh, was not going to. Uh, yeah, the Lord was not going to uh, protect Jacob only in the Promised Land. His protection would extend to Haran into Mesopotamia where his mother's family was. The Lord's protection does not have geographical geographical boundaries for us either. He is with us wherever we go. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That was his promise to Jacob, but that promise is for us today too. He's with us wherever we go. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. This is right when Jesus is ascending into heaven, just before he ascends. And he's telling his disciples, "You know, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on, he says, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here's the promise. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's gonna be with us. He promises to do that. And so we can claim the promise that God, of God's protection because he is with us wherever we go. In the third part of verse 15, we see the next promise in this preservation. God promised to bring Jacob back to the promised land. And since he had promised to give Jacob the land where he was lying down, it only makes sense that the Lord would bring him back to that land. Jacob had to go away to mature and develop in his faith. And once that process was complete, the Lord would bring him back to the promised land. Gango and Bramer say this, lest Jacob harbor any remaining doubt about his father's words issued earlier in this chapter, he now had direct confirmation from on high. So his father had blessed him, right? We saw that last week. And he's like, this is going to happen, Jacob. I'm blessing you in this way. And Jacob's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know how we are, right? When we've sinned, we've done something wrong, we kind of feel bad about that. And we're like, ah, it's probably not going to happen, you know. But here God is saying, this is going to happen. i confirming what your father said. And all of this took place while Jacob was dreaming, but he's about to wake up. And we see that in verses 16 to 19. The second point today is devotion. Look at those verses with me, if you would. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was uh, afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. So we see Jacob's realization here. Jacob's first thought after waking up was that the Lord was in this place and he wasn't aware of it. Kyle and Dillich say not that the um, omnipresence of God was unknown to him, but that Jehovah in his condescending mercy should be near to him, even here, far away from his father's house and from the places consecrated to his worship. It was this which he did not know or imagine. He's like, oh, well, I worshiped God back there with my parents, you know, and in this place, but here I am, and God's here too. Vernon Ground says this, an atheist and a Christian were engaged in an intense public debate on the blackboard behind the podium, the atheist printed in large capital letters, "God is nowhere." When the Christian uh, rose to offer his rebuttal, he rubbed out the W at the beginning of "where" and added it to the letter, and added that letter to the preceding word, "no." Then the statement read, "God is now here." So Jacob realized that the Lord was present everywhere, and that's our third principle today. God is omnipresent. This is one of God's many attributes. This attribute is still true of him today. He is present with us no matter where we are. He is with us at home, at work, at school, on vacation, on a missions trip, on a business trip, at the grocery store, at the gas station, at a restaurant, and the list goes on and on. He's with us everywhere. And this is a truth that should bring us great peace. The Lord's presence brought fear to Jacob also. And perhaps Jacob was afraid because he recalled the sin of deception and he knew that the Lord knew about it. The presence of the Holy Lord made Jacob acutely aware of his sinfulness. Jacob recognized that he was in God's house, the gate of heaven, and it was an awesome place. Have you ever experienced the presence of God in his creation and thought to yourself, this is such an awesome place? And when you're struggling with something, you may return to that place to find solace and peace and comfort because you've experienced the Lord there. It's a place where you can slow down and focus on the Lord and His presence with you. It's a place where God's presence transforms your life's journey. And the only appropriate response for Jacob and for us when we realize God's presence is worship, and so Jacob worships we're not told if Jacob went back to sleep after waking up from the dream, but we know that early the next morning he made a memorial to, the, to commemorate what, had, what he had experienced. He took the pillow and made it a pillar. He consecrated it by pouring, pouring oil on it. Then he named the place Bethel, which means house of God. Our fourth principle today is this. God is pleased when we create a, ways to remember his presence with us and his promises to us. What quote unquote pillars have you set up to remember to worship the Lord for his presence with you and his promises to you? These are not idols to worship, but rather things that remind us of what God has done for us so we can worship Him. Perhaps a decoration that you purchased reminds you of what the Lord has done for you, could be a picture or a sculpture, or another object. I want to encourage you to consider ways in which you can be reminded of God's goodness to you and his presence with you. Those items can help us focus when times get difficult because they are reminders of a faithful God who is always with you and promises to provide and protect you. Jacob worshiped the Lord, but he also made a declaration to the Lord in the form of a vow. We see that in the last two, three verses, 20 to 22. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God uh, will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And so as we look at this, the vow that Jacob makes is not a bargain with God. God. Matthews, in his commentary, says Jacob was asking no more than the fulfillment of God's self-imposed obligations delivered in the dream sequence. If you look at those verses, or those words that, uh, for his vow, he's repeating the same things that God has promised him. Hamilton says Jacob is throwing himself on God's mercy, not calculating whether to accept God. The if-then statement can also be translated since. When translated as since, the statement moves from sounding like a bargain with God to an affirmation of faith in God. Jacob is affirming that God will be with him, protect him, provide for him, and preserve him, bring him back to the promised land. And Jacob knows that the Lord is able to do all of those things. And so look, look at those verses where it says, it begins with the word if, put the since in there, since God is will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I may return safely to my father's house the lord will be my god that's his affirmation of his faith jacob's promise then to god the lord will be his god first he will build a shrine of worship there at bethel the stone pillar is where jacob will establish a place of worship to the lord when he returns And we know that Bethel was established as a place of worship, (coughs) and then it became a place of idol worship later on. And then the third thing he says, he will give a tithe of his holdings, a tenth. Jacob's wealth would eventually be in flocks and herds, which he will offer as sacrifices to the Lord at Bethel. This is a voluntary tithe to the Lord and not something that was forced upon him. A tenth of our income as a tithe to the Lord is a great principle and starting point. But it's not taught in the New Testament. Are you aware of that? Wolke says it this way The principle now is whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He goes on and he says Christians are to do so eagerly, generously, and cheerfully, the amount depending on one's level of prosperity. Our practice should reflect the abundant generosity called for in the New Testament. But all too often, Christians tithe in order not to give too much, and pastors teach tithing to assure that people give enough. That hurts on both sides, doesn't it? <laughs> I want to read Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8 to you today. This is what God's Word says. It's what I quoted a little bit earlier. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Does that sound like a memory verse perhaps? A couple of those verses? Principle five is this today. God's desire is that we honor him through our giving. Jacob was willing to voluntarily commit a tenth of his holdings as a tithe because he knew that the Lord would keep his promises to him. His tithe was a recognition of his gratitude to the Lord for the promise of property, progeny, presence, protection, and preservation. I have one simple question for everyone today. Does your giving to the Lord show your gratitude to him for his promise of property, progeny, presence, protection, and preservation? I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer that question. That may lead you to this fourth next step today, and that's to give to the Lord in such a way that it shows my gratitude for all that he has done for me. So God's presence with Jacob transformed his life's journey. God's presence transforms our life's journey. As we reviewed this morning, a couple of questions. Are you ready to believe in Jesus and receive God's eternal life? Then mark that. Do you need to claim the promise of God's presence with you today? Maybe the third one, you need to trust that the Lord will keep his promises to you. And then finally, does your giving reflect a heart of gratitude for all that the Lord has done for you? As a body of believers, we can claim the promise of God's presence with us as a body we can trust that God will keep his promises to us. And our giving as a church should reflect our gratitude to the Lord for all that he's done for us as a body of believers. We, we tithe as a church by giving to those who are missionaries. And, and God has blessed that, as we've been faithful to, to support so many. As we close, I want to read this illustration for you. Spiritual experiences are not a matter of finding God nor are they a matter of waiting till God fairly screams, look, here I am. Spiritual experiences surround us. We fall over them dozens of times a day. We can't avoid them if we try. A spiritual experience is simply a matter of recognizing and acknowledging our relationship to God and whatever is going on in our lives at the moment. God is involved in all we do and does not pop in and out of our lives. We live surrounded by God. We live and breathe uh, God just as we live and breathe air. To know that either air or God is present, we need only to pause and reflect for an instant instant to see that uh, we are immersed in them. So his presence is with us all the time. And because of that, he can transform our trek. He can transform our life, life's journey, because he's ever-present with us. Aren't you grateful for that today? I know I am. I've seen it time and time again in our family, not just our immediate family, in our extended family, how God just works and moves and his presence is with us and his presence is with you today no matter where you go. And we can bless him and thank him for that today. As the worship team comes, would you just bow your heads with me as we commit this to the Lord in prayer today? Lord, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you that Your presence does transform our life's journey. And we can trust you to keep your promises and to provide for us, Lord. (coughs) And today, I just pray that your message would sink deep within our hearts and minds, that we would not leave here unchanged. And so we just commit ourselves to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.